In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we discuss how to teach the Catholic faith. I'm your host, Stacy Tresankos, the executive director of the St. Philip Institute, and this lovely lady sitting next to me is Miss Deanna Johnston, the director of family life for the St. Philip Institute. <laughs> Our guest today is her dad. His name is Deacon Chip Jones. You may know him from the go to mass memes that <laughs> float around social media on holy days of obligation. He's a deacon in the Diocese of Memphis, and he's here with us today to talk about Catholicism, racism, and the current situation with I Can't Breathe, the hashtag I Can't Breathe that's going around. Welcome, Deacon Chip. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Can you tell us, I think we were discussing whether Deanna would introduce you or you would introduce you. I think we decided that you would. Could you just tell us a little bit more about um, about yourself, who you are, um, how you came to be a deacon, and uh, if you want to give us any secrets about Deanna. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep, um, I'll try to paint broad strokes here. Um, I am... Um, a permanent deacon, as you mentioned, um, for the Diocese of Memphis, ordained by um, Bishop J. Terry Stibe back in March of 2000. Uh, prior to that, um, I'd been in the Diocese of Memphis for about eight years. And prior to that, I'd been on active duty as a field artillery officer in the United States Army for about eight after graduating from the United States Military Academy in 1982. I'm originally from the city of Atlanta, and I'm just old enough to have uh, been alive um, and somewhat aware during the height of the civil rights movement in the South um, in the early and mid-60s, just barely old enough to um, have been alive. Um, and um, currently, I am in my secular life. I'm a small business owner. I run a uh, residential and commercial painting franchise. Uh, to actually generate income for our family. We're so glad that you could join us today. Um, all smiles aside, uh, we we decided to, to talk about this very difficult issue because we are convinced that it's necessary. Um, I don't think there's anyone out there who doesn't know what we're talking about, but just in case there is, um, on May 25th, uh, a man named George Floyd, an African-American man, was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was handcuffed and lying face down on a street, city street during an arrest. 
and a white American Minneapolis police officer kept his knee on the right side of Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. After that, he was taken uh, in an ambulance and he shortly thereafter died mm. as a result of this. Um, the video, people were standing around, videotaped it, were challenging the officers. It's extremely difficult to watch um, I did make myself watch it, uh, but I didn't want to. Um, and it, it's sparking a lot of conversation, I guess is one word to say. There's a lot, there are global protests. I was looking on Twitter today. Mm-hmm. Protests all over the world um, of people protesting police brutality, protesting um, impunity, um, very angry at the United States, um, angry that we haven't dealt with racism more. And what we want to do today is, uh, you know, this podcast is for teaching the Catholic faith. We want to bring this issue. This, this is why God revealed to us the truths he did. So we would know how to navigate our lives in truth and love and justice. We want to take this situation and put it on the table and have a hard conversation about it in the light of Catholic teaching. Mm. So the gloves are off. I mean, we are going to we're, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me to talk about it, but I think we have to. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Deacon Chip, for being here. Um, I really, I, I have tremendous respect for you and uh, kind of can't talk when I'm around you because I don't <laughs> want to say something stupid. <laughs> but um, I just uh, admire you so much. A lot of that comes from knowing your daughter, Um Deanna is, I think if I had to describe her in one word, it would be strong. Um, She's here as the director of family life um, in our diocese, teaching people how to have holy marriages. Um, So here's, here's what I think we need to talk about. So my daughters were talking to me about this issue. They said, Mom, you know, what is all this going on? They were truly confused because, as my daughter put it, I never thought skin color was any different than eye color. And she said, we're not racist. What is all of this talk about America is so racist? And she's like, we're not. Like, she's, she didn't even know what racism really meant. And uh, one of my daughters chimed in because she's been upset lately because there are a lot of people telling her that, you know, white people have no culture, white people can't cook, which upsets her because she's trying to make uh, fried cheese sticks with Takis coated on them or something during quarantine. She fried everything. (laughs) But um, she was like, what what does that mean? What are these people talking about? Mm -hmm. And I told my daughters, I'm glad you're not racist, but... That's because I raised you that way. But mommy grew up here in East Texas, and I hated telling them this, but growing up here in East Texas in the 70s and 80s, it was very racist. And, you know, I'm looking at all of you people out there in East Texas. We have to admit that. We can't just say to our kids, oh, that's great, you're not racist, I'm not racist, let's just move on. I do think we have to take that seriously. It was very racist when I was growing up, and it was very confusing to me as a child um, because it was ingrained in the culture where I lived. I grew up in Paris, Texas, here in the Diocese of Tyler. It was ingrained in the culture that people just talked about black people like they were less than human. 
and I'm almost shaking talking about it because I, that's one of the reasons I moved away. But I moved back three years ago, and my kids are here now, and I found myself telling my daughters, it's not enough to say that we're not racist. This, this is a problem in our country, and we need to talk about it. And I found myself telling them that empathy is the word of the day. Mm. And then I read your post, Deacon Chip, and it stopped me. It stopped me in my tracks when I was reading it. And, and I'd like you to tell us more about this. Part of your post, and we've got it on our Facebook page for the St. Philip Institute, is you said... You're tired of having to reiterate to your adult daughters to never argue with a police officer, to do whatever he or she asks so that they survive the encounter to seek justice another day. And this was in a larger post where you're, you're telling people, yes, I'm angry, um, but the protesters that are, that are rioting are not doing it the right way, that it's not just a it's not something we can blame on the president or blame on all white people. It's bad cops. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in honesty, I have never, Deacon Chip, never in my life had to even think about raising my daughters to never argue with a police officer. So I'd like to get your, your side of this. I'd like to know what it looks like through your eyes and through your eyes, Deanna. Sure, I, I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. Um, and you know, the first thing I'll say is that this is a, this is, this position, this thought process has been an evolution for me. Um, not the part about teaching my kids how to act around the police. Um, to be honest, my father, who was an assistant district attorney um, in Fulton County, Atlanta, when I was growing up, um, told me that you know, there are just certain things that you do and you don't do. One of the things that he pointed out to me was that police officers, um, by law, um, their office is as wielders of deadly force in situations where it's necessary. And uh, it is an unfortunate reality that in certain parts of the country with certain officers, when emotions run high, uh, folks make decisions and they make decisions through the lens of the person at whom they're looking at, at whom the anger is directed. Um, I know a lot of folks in law enforcement and I don't want to sound like folks that are going to say, but I have a lot of black friends. That's a whole different thing. We'll probably talk about in a minute. Um, I don't know every police officer that exists. Um, one of my brother deacons here in the diocese of Memphis is a Lieutenant Colonel in the Memphis, Police Department. Um, many of the permanent deacons here in the diocese are current or former law enforcement officers, um, and I know the um, I know the way that they you know, the way that they live, the way that they interact with folks, and I feel that I know their hearts. Um, and I also know that I cannot know the heart of every person that walks up to the side of my car at night with the lights behind me and wraps on the um, window for me to roll it down. So the safest tack, the safest tack for me, the safest tack for my daughters is to attend to the fact that because they don't know who this person is out the window, um, they should uh, keep everything at a very low key, 
execute every order that's given to them. Um, and I have said, and repeatedly, so that they survive the encounter. I can always, I have no problem with going after a member of the law enforcement community who actually violates the law and mistreats one of my children. Uh, but I don't want to do that while I'm planning a funeral. And the, I guess the advent of social media and the 24-hour news cycle that we blame for so many ills in our society has had the effect of making everybody almost instantaneously um, aware when things like this happen. Uh, I don't know if they happened all the time 30 years ago before Twitter, but um, I know what my father taught me and I know what I've taught my girls. Um, I don't think it's because people are bad or mean. I just think it's there is an under there's an undercurrent in our society of looking at differences first. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the more isolated we are from people who are not like us, and this is not just for people who happen to be Caucasian, but I think it's that way in the, I can talk about the black community because I, I grew up there and I, I float around there. Um, I think it may be that way for every community that is insular to an extent where we spend more time with people who are like us than we do with people who aren't like us. So we tend to look at the other as something different than us. We're okay. The other is suspect. Um, And sometimes they're suspect and to be feared. Sometimes they're suspect and to be disregarded or suspect and to be, um, to be disdained. But in that way, we kind of establish our place in the pecking order and we make it easier to deal with that other um, by categorizing him or her as something because it's not us as less than us. Mm-hmm. And I hope that makes sense. Yep. And I remember dad just, uh, I, I, my experience of racism, I, I feel like there may be like a handful of times in my entire 34 years of life where I could identify something as saying, uh, like, oh, that that person was probably maybe a little racist. Um, but I know that my experience is very different than what you have experienced your entire life. But I remember you talking about, you know, when when you get pulled over, uh, like having your military ID and having everything easily accessible so that you don't have to reach down or that there's no question, um, anything like that. Uh, and I just feel like in the last few weeks, I mean, with the Ahmaud Arbery case, with Breonna Taylor, and then with George Floyd, like I, I knew that these things happen, but, and maybe it's because it's, it, it's just all happened so like back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And, but, and I know that there's, there are situations like this that happen that nobody knows about mm-hmm. yet, but that these cases have been highlighted, like you said, because of social media and our 24 hour news cycle. And I have just felt um, uneasy like the past week. And I, and I almost feel like I've been waiting for a Catholic voice because this is more than, um, this is a pro-life issue. This is a Catholic issue. Uh, and I, I feel like in a way I've been waiting for a, a prominent Catholic voice to just say, to just tell us what, what are we supposed to do with all of this? So dad, I appreciate your, your post and just your, mm-hmm. your being vocal about it. And, um, it's, I think it's helping me to process this. Um, my sisters and I have been having conversations the, the past 
week or so and seeing the anger that's kind of arisen in them over the past week. Um, and we joke in our family, I'm, I'm very light skinned compared to my sisters. Um, people probably just get bothered cause I, they don't know what box to put me in. My sisters are a little more darker complexed complexion, uh, than I am. Um, and I know their experience is different than mine, but like honing in on, on their anger and like knowing what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be really interested just to hear more about like, how are we supposed to process this? Um, as a as a Catholic community, but maybe specifically as Black Catholics, mm-hmm. we have anger, and I mean we know be angry but do not sin, as as Scripture tells us. But how do we take the next step? Because it seems like it can't end with with protesting, or uh, and I know that's a, that's another conversation with what's actually going on with all of that. But yeah, what do we do with that anger mm-hmm. moving forward? Well, I don't know if I would categorize myself as a prominent Catholic. I'm a very large one. Um, Six foot nine. So yeah. I guess that counts. Um, but um, I do feel a responsibility to, I, I do feel a responsibility to speak. But you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the script a little bit um, and talk about how I think maybe we shouldn't react. Mm, okay. Um, it, it, as a as a black person, um, I I spend most of my time with white folks. There are not a lot of there are not a lot of black Catholics in this corner of the diocese of Memphis. Um, those that are of color are generally not from here. Most of them, there's some, but not most. Um, most of the people with whom I work are not um, African American, and definitely not African American Catholics. Um, and sometimes I, I, I find myself, when I do have conversations with other um, African-Americans, I mean, even folks within our family, Deanna, you've watched some of that conversation traffic happen. Um, everybody's mad, and we're so quick to shut the other person down. And I think one way, one place out of which we have to react is we have to understand that um, it's not that all of those people who live that house and that house and that house and that house and that one. All these people who are who happen to be Caucasian who live around us are not sitting at home thinking of ways to be disrespectful to black people. Mm. Um, the majority of them, if they know you, if you have done your your due diligence and gotten out and met your neighbors, if they know you um, as more than some a work colleague. Um, you're probably one of the few black people that many of the white folks around know. I don't know the demographic in the Diocese of Tyler, but I'll hazard a guess that um, you know, just just based on looking at who's at mass when I when I attend mass at the cathedral or um, at the chapel, um, I wouldn't be surprised if most people who are in mass. Um, on any given Sunday with me when I'm visiting you guys, um, even knows very many um, African Americans on more than a on more than a work level. If they do, great. But I mean, if you grew up where I did, I, mean, I went to school with 2,000 um, African American kids. We had one white kid in our class of about 300. His name was Joe Nash, and he was in my wedding. He was a very good friend of mine. He, beat me out for 
He beat me on the SAT by 10 points. Smart <laughs> um, but, you know, if you don't, if you're, if you don't grow up like Joe did, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't know any black people. So for us to be angry because um, people who don't happen to be of color don't know how to act or how to respond, or they say the wrong thing is maybe a bit disingenuous. Um, we, we should be angry. Um, Martin Luther King, not to get Ralph Abernathy and name a dozen other prominent um, black members of the clergy and just of society in the civil rights movement in the 60s. Um, I'm certain that they didn't just walk around and everything wasn't roses and butterflies. Of course they were angry. And their mm-hmm. anger was what motivated them to put themselves at risk, sometimes of bodily injury and even death, to state clearly that the status quo was unacceptable. So we should make sure that people know that the status quo is unacceptable. It is ridiculous that in 2020, um, a, an officer of the law, I don't care if he was it purple, mm. could, could, could cause the death of someone who he had in custody, someone who could not possibly be a threat, that he could cause his death in a very public way. It's just, it boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. And it frankly ticks me off mm-hmm. because it points to what I think is a, the, a worse thing than an act of hatred. It's an almost casual disregard for the other. Mm-hmm. You may like me. You're not in my family or in my clan or in my group or in my, you're not one of my little pod. So therefore you're somehow less than me. And what happens to you isn't as important as what happens to me. I don't know what was in an officer's heart. Um, I don't know what's in his heart now. Um, But I do know that to be able to do what he did meant that he had to see, he could not have seen the man on the ground in front of him as having equal dignity to his wife, having equal dignity to his sons, having equal dignity to his father. There's the problem. We've Mm -hmm. lost, the, the, the place that we've lost our way is that we no longer understand the equal dignity of all people. Not to run down a rabbit trail, but you know, when we as, um, as Catholics speak on the protection of the least of these, when we talk about protection of human life from conception to natural death, you know, so protecting older people um, from euthanasia, protecting um, pre-born people from abortion. What we're talking about is the protection of an individual who has a fundamental human dignity that flows from his or her creation in the image and likeness of God. Amen. Man on whose neck I'm kneeling and about to cost to mm. die is mm. made in the image and likeness that of God. Just like, you know, um, Michael Brown, for whatever, what, whatever happened, you know, it isn't about that. Michael Brown was created in the image and likeness of God. Every person who has died in police custody ever is created in the image and likeness of God. And when we recover that, when we recover this as Catholic Christians, when we understand that we have a responsibility that the catechism spells out very nicely there, and I think it was paragraph 1931 from which you were um, reading earlier, Stacey, when we all realize that um, 
we all have a shared responsibility to see the other person as another self yep. of your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, to respect the human dignity of the other. That's when things start to get better. So as black Catholics, as black people, um, heck, take the color out of it for a second. As Catholic Christians, mm -hmm. I believe that the responsibility that we have is to check ourselves, just do an audit, uh, human dignity. Right? When I look at person X, the dude who happens to clean the bathrooms in my office building, do I know his name? Do I know whether or not he has a family? Do I know whether or not he has a disability? Do I know anything about him other than, oh, he didn't wipe the counters off. I just got my briefcase wet when I sat it down, yep. which makes me angry too. But still, do I know his name? Mm -hmm. You know, Do I know the name of the checkout lady at Kroger? Do I know the name of the people on the crew that comes to clean our offices in the evening? Or the, the, the other hundred people of color, whether they be Latino, um, Latina, or, um, or African-American, the hundreds of other people who make my life easy as a person with resources, do I know anything about them? Do I see them as being of equal dignity to me? Or are they people who facilitate my life, but I don't really care? Mm -hmm. That's the first response. And if you wonder if, you're, if, you, if you can just state, oh, well, I'm not racist. Yep. That's not yeah. enough. No, it's not check, enough. Say that. Now check yourself. Yeah. How, many, how many people not like you do you know? How many people not like you are in your Bible study? How many people not like you are in, um, any, in your men's group? How many people not like you are um, a part of your life in any way? Um, and why, if they're not part of your life, why aren't they part of your life? Yeah. Answer that question, and I think we're starting to get over toward an answer to the kind of response that we can extend. And this is not one that needs to be extended out of guilt. I, I don't I don't want to be anybody's friend because they feel bad because right. they don't have friends. That's, that's not real. I got to meet my quota of people who look different than me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm happy to be your friend, but please, I mean, don't feel guilty. You don't owe me an right. apology for anything mm -hmm. right. at all. You don't owe me anything except no. that when you look at me, I expect you to see me and not Human not person. just some really tall black guy, you yeah. know, who looks like whoever or, gee, did you play basketball? Which I'm happy to answer. Yeah. It doesn't right. bother me. I'm just mm -hmm. saying that I'm more than I'm more than my skin color. Right. I am, right. I'm more than my skin color. I'm more than the clothes that I wear. I'm more than the car that I drive. Um, in fact, take away all of those things and take me all the way back to the day that my mother gave birth to me at McClendon Hospital in Atlanta, which incidentally in 1960 was one of two places you could be black and born in a hospital setting in the city of Atlanta in 1960, mm. but that's the side. But when she gave birth to me, if you go back to that person, mm -hmm. you don't see a person equal in dignity to yourself. Well, okay, it's time to have a conversation with me, yeah. with a priest, especially with a priest, because might want to visit the confessional. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's, yeah. that's where the conversation starts. Right. Is, and that right. you mentioned the, the catechism reference. Yeah. I think Stacy's got it. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to say 
what you just said right there is what I want to say to my daughters. Mm. It, it wasn't enough to say to her, the two of them, that, no, you're not racist, okay. They need to be challenged. How many people are in your life that aren't like you? The catechism, um, so just so everybody knows, this is what the church has always taught. Mm-hmm. Th- this is what the church teaching, the church, the catechism of the Catholic church, what God revealed to us and what we reasoned forth in theology ever since, is meant to help us seek the truth in our lives. And I think it's really good just to remind ourselves what the catechism says here. I'm reading 1931. Respect for the human person proceeds by way of respect for the principle that everyone should look upon his neighbor without any exception as another self. Above all, bearing in mind his life and the means necessary for living it with dignity. So that is how we're supposed to be thinking as Catholics. We are one human race. We are human made in the image and likeness of God, like you were saying, Deacon Chip. And we are one race. I mean, my husband was born in Cuba, and and my children have asked, which, bo- which box do they check when it says race? And their daddy told them, don't check any box, just write human down. <laughs> and so that's what they do. Um, but because that's, that's really what we're supposed to be doing. We're one human race. And that's what the church says. Exactly. And has always said. And I really like what you said, Dad, about the, that this is an opportunity to build community by focusing on that issue of am I seeing another as... A, a person made in the image and likeness of God, if that's something that we're focused on and intentional on seeing, that that changes the conversation. And again, this is a pro-life issue. And I, I feel like some of the things that I'm I'm seeing on social media where folks are, are acknowledging that what happened to George Floyd was horrific and can't wrap your mind around it. But then after seeing like the protests and and things like that there's almost this this added comment of well what happened to George Floyd was bad but the protesting is wrong and we shouldn't do it and kind of it, it's almost like this unintentional min, minimizing of of mm-hmm. the experience or the tragedy of what's happened to folks like George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor mm-hmm. and too many others um and i don't even know what to ask but just trying to to like what what is the proper response um or maybe for those who 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 don't know how to how to help the conversation to continue um like where do we go from there how like as a church how do we highlight the the need for this to be a a, a pro-life issue that racism is a sin mm-hmm. and and I think it's uh Gloria Purvis from from EWTN she keeps saying you know racism is a I'm sin and people go to hell for it that's why we talk about it it's not because we're we're on some higher plane or anything it's that this is a sin mm-hmm. um but yeah I think I think people are, are maybe seeking the the proper response and they don't know they don't know how how to digest it both both black catholics and and white catholics just trying to to figure out how to where do i go from here uh, and i know that prayer is 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 a big part of that 
I, I think that's correct. And and you know, let me let me let the first sentence out of my mouth be this. I'm not sure that I have an adequate answer to the person that wants to know from me what I think they ought to do next. Um, as you stated, prayer is an obvious response and it's a necessary response. But I think we, I, I think sometimes we, we kind of, we kind of brush everything under the prayer rug. It's like, oh, I need to pray about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just suffer. Don't. Right. And then, and then we, we don't. don't. So, you know, what, what's a, what's a good response? I think that, I think it depends on who you are. First off, as a, as a black man, I think that um, every time I am about to engage someone on the subject of what's gone on, um, I need to check myself. Um, my good friend, Mike Higgins up in, um, in St. Louis, I think I mentioned earlier, maybe I mentioned it before we started, um, has been at the center of um, many protests. And he pointed out to me today that, the, that not everyone who is out doing bad things is actually a member of the groups who are, act, who are out peacefully protesting what's going on. So there's a first check, is to not automatically make the mistake that I made of painting everybody with a one broad brush. It's what the bad actors that are that are actually perpetrating all these crimes want, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's 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 not right. Um, you know, folks that are out um, speaking their mind articulately about what's wrong and what they'd like to see change are not the problem, and we can't lump them in with um, with criminals who take advantage of the heightened emotions. Um, and the ability to wear masks because we all have to when we're outside around people to go and smash and grab TVs and throw bricks at police and do all kinds, all kinds of horrible things. So don't paint everybody with the same brush. Then when we engage in conversation, and let me talk to my um, African-American brothers and sisters for a second. When we engage in conversation, don't think the worst of somebody with whom you're trying to talk. Don't attribute the worst possible motive for whatever thing they try to communicate on social media in two or three paragraphs, because goodness knows you don't have time to read a paragraph this long on Facebook. You're not gonna do it. So don't attribute bad motives to those people because they're, they're, they're struggling to come to an understanding of what's going on in their mind too. And then um, for those who do not happen to be like me, I would say um, two things. One, um, own up to the fact that there's a problem. I mean, acknowledge that there's a problem because there's a problem. There's a problem when an almost 60-year-old African-American graduate of the United States Military Academy, honorably discharged and running a small business, is afraid of the police. That's a problem. That is a problem. Own that there's a problem. Don't think I'm crazy because that I have the problem because I know that things can go sideways fast in an encounter with the police. Mm -hmm. They can't. And then have a conversation with somebody not like you. Mm -hmm. Put on a little thicker skin. Understand that some of us may be very upset. Yep. Forgive when we do step on your toes. Because occasionally we're gonna, because 
and you make decisions out of emotion rather than out of logic, Deanna, what happens? <laughs> you make mistakes. <laughs> you know, just always make a mistake, you know? So be, be charitable, mm. be charitable. And charity runs both ways. Yep. If we can just manage to have a conversation about something very difficult, not step all over one another because, oh, you said, you, 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 you use the word thug. Oh, that's terrible. You can't use the word thug because y'all always mean, when you say thug, you're always talking about a black guy. Well, maybe. I've known a couple of white thugs in my life, but you know, okay, maybe. But don't always think the worst. Mm-hmm. Engage in conversation. Let the conversation flow to the, to the real point, which is at its root is a question of how we view the others basic human dignity mm. because we can respect one another's human dignity if i can see you as every bit as important in the eyes of god as me mm. as every bit as worthy of respect and um and, and gratitude when i do something nice for you every uh, every bit as worthy as you if I can see the other as as worthy as me, then a lot of the problems that we have today, just being able to talk with one another, go away. Does, mm-hmm. does that does that make sense? Yep. It makes perfect sense. I mean, that, this is something that I think married couples need to hear. <laughs> that uh, anybody in in any kind of relationship, that I mean, that's one thing I've noticed about relationships in general is people are afraid to talk about their problems. You, you have to you have to be able I, I still think empathy is the word of the day you you have to be able to listen to someone else and try to get as close to the other person's center as you can and look out at the world through that person's eyes and and you can't do that if you're talking all the time you 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 have to ask questions listen and get to know someone so you can you can be empathetic mm-hmm. and and I think maybe that's what everybody needs those of us who can still breathe I think we all need to take a big breath yep. and listen to each other. Amen. Yeah. I'm certain that we could, I know I got another hour of material, but I realize that our podcast <laughs> yeah. is limited. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I would, as a last, as a last sentence or two, I would, I just encourage everybody who is listening to this podcast to recognize, um, go find it in video because I mean, you can probably hear it in um, Stacy's voice. She really is an East Texas raised, um, and she does not look like me. Um, Deanna's kind of different too. She does look like me. God bless her. <laughs> but here we are um, having a conversation about something that's horribly difficult. I usually don't cry on camera, but I almost did here, um, and I didn't even realize that I, I had that level of emotion behind this until we started talking about yeah. it. But mm. If we can all pause and just pray, recognize that Jesus Christ died on a cross for everybody. He died on a cross so that all would have the possibility of being united with the Father in heaven forever at the end of our lives. He died for that police officer that caused, that killed George Floyd. He died for George Floyd. He died for Michael Brown. Um, he died for every human person that has ever lived. That's what gives us 
our dignity. Mm. We are all equal in the sight of God. And that's not just some throwaway line from some government document. That's, that is the revealed truth from God. So take a breath and then go have a conversation with somebody. This is not going to get better until we all start talking with one another and actually listening mm. to the other. So, Dad, I'm I'm grateful and I'm getting emotional right now, too, but I'm just I'm grateful for your voice um, and your example. And uh, yeah. And Stacey, I'm really grateful for your willingness to have this conversation and that this is only the beginning, that it's a it's a conversation that we as Catholics need to have because it's a Catholic issue. It's it's a it's an issue about the the dignity of the human person, like like you said, Dad. So I'm I'm just very grateful to to be able to process what's happening and to realize like the next step really is as as simple as as prayer, but then action to to listen and empathize with others. Shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much.